Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our current self-titled series, we're looking at what it means to answer the call to be a disciple maker of disciple makers. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. So it's Mother's Day, and uh, Mother's Day got me thinking about something that my eldest uh, daughter likes to say now. She picked it up somewhere, I don't know where. But uh, as she's getting older, she's going to be 25 this year. <laughs> Do I look old enough to have a 20? Anyway, uh, She'll be 25 this year, and now she's grown up, and it's fun to hear your kids, now that they get older, they start saying stuff that just makes you chuckle, like, ha, 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 finally. Anyway, she says, says this statement that she picked up, I think, on Pinterest or somewhere. She says, yeah, I, I'm finding out the truth of the statement that says, I opened my mouth, and my mother fell out. Amen. How many can relate to that? I opened my mouth, and my mother fell out. You know, as hard as you tried not to say the stuff she said, as hard as you tried to, to, to not be the way she was, you just can't help it because, you know, it's just how it is, right? I mean, to be honest with you, if you think about it, moms are perhaps the most influential person in our life, primarily, I think, because moms are the first in so many ways. You know, they're, they're the first face you see as a baby. First voice you hear, human voice, even before birth, right? First touch. First person that typically is the one that responds to your needs, providing you with sustenance and providing you with uh, cleaning up your diaper and looking after you, the first one to hold you, the first one to, to, to kind of be the human being that you interact with. And so in many ways, the reality is, is that moms are given the awesome privilege of laying the foundation, laying the foundation of personhood, of human, what it means to be a human being. They lay that foundation. And, and so the statement, I opened my mouth and my mom fell out, is not surprising, right? Now, Mother's Day is tricky. I get it. Here's why it's tricky, because I'll say, I open my, ma- my mouth and my, mo- my mother fell out, and, and some of us will smile, and we'll have a warm fuzzy, and we'll feel good about that. But then I'll say that, and others of us might have not so much a warm fuzzy. It might be a pang of hurt, because our moms are not with us, and we miss them. There may be a pang of hurt and, 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 and difficulty, because truth be told, our experience as a child with our mom was not perhaps the way we'd have liked it to be. And there's some deep hurts from those early times that are still with us. And though we want a good relationship, though we wish we had a better relationship with our mom, it just didn't happen, and, and we carry that pain. Some of us may, may hear that statement, I opened my mouth, and my mom fell out, and, and, and the wounds of decisions as a mother as a mother, may, may, may rise up. Decisions made from, from, from keeping a baby or not keeping a baby, from, from, from things that you did. I don't know a mother that I've ever talked to that doesn't have some guilt about things that they did to their kids, and they don't have some sense of, I wish I would have known, I wish I would have done. And that's just how moms are wired, right? They just, just kind of work on that. And so I know Mother's Day is kind of a tricky holiday. It's a time in which many of us uh, may have, have lots of warm fuzzies and, and, and good, and then there are other times where it's, it's just a burden. And, and I just want to lay that out and acknowledge that and tell you that God sees that and he fills the gaps. 
you know, I think about my mom and I think about, you know, my story personally regarding my mom was not all warm and fuzzy either. It wasn't all June Cleaver and Claire Huxtable and whoever else you want to put in there as a model mom, the ideal mom. It wasn't. I was born as a result of an affair. My mom was 27 years old, alone in a new country without family. She had moved to Rhodesia at the time, and she got pregnant. And so my beginnings wouldn't be considered ideal, right? I mean, wasn't biblical for sure, wasn't moral, it wasn't good, and, and, and my mom had to face difficult situations. I was born to a single mother in a tough situation, and we lived, just her and I, for the first seven years of my life. But I got to tell you something. In that, and though it wasn't ideal, and though it wasn't the best, and though it wasn't perhaps what you would say God's plan is for motherhood in the, in the way we need to have it, my mom was committed to being a mom. And I will say this in reflection, she committed to the things that I believe are the basics for motherhood, and I would say the basic for fatherhood, the basics for rearing individuals, of making human beings grow, the basics, and this is the basic. My mom gave herself to me. She did the best she could as a mom for me, seeking to connect me with what is best to help me grow. And in that, there's a formula here that I think is vital for us to hold on to. It's a formula that's going to be the thread that's going to run throughout this entire conversation as we look at Scripture and, and talk about how we grow up and the plan that God has for us to grow up as Jesus followers. It goes like this. It says, attention with godly or good intention needs to provide connection with God, with community, and with purpose. Attention with intention. Attention, A-T-T-E-N-T, -T -E something, something. <laughs> with godly intention, I-N, that means intention means I have, have a decision and I act in this way. It doesn't mean I do it always perfectly, but I have this intention to, to, to seek out these goals. That intention leads to connection, individual connection with God, with community, and with a purpose that defines our life. My mom had that. Not perfectly, for sure. But that's the basis, I think, that provides the opportunity for individuals. Let me tell you an example of how this worked. It's just a, a fun thing. One day, uh, I was five or six years old. Mom and I lived in a, an apartment complex. It was a townhome situation, we would say. Uh, she drove, how many of you, how many have ever heard of a Renault car? It's a French car. It was a Renault 4. It was like a box on wheels. Seriously. And so she drove that little car, and it was parked on the outside. You had some stairs, and the house was, that little townhome was there. So for some reason in my mind, I don't know why, I decided that I wanted to try out camping cooking and make a fire to toast my cookies on. I had some cookies. We called them biscuits where I grew up. So I decided I was going to toast my biscuits. I want to find a good place to toast the biscuits. So I got the newspaper that I was acquired, and somehow I got my hand on matches, which is always not a wise thing. But anyway, <laughs> see, she wasn't a perfect mom. Anyway, um, 
So I got my hands on some matches, and I shoved, wadded up the newspaper, and I stubbed it under that Renault 4 car. <laughs> Sounds perfectly logical to me, dude. <laughs> Safe? Anyway, so I lit the fire, and I started the fire going, and the fire was going, and the smoke was going, and I was having a good fire. And all of a sudden, my mother came flying outside, down the stairs, and swooped. I, it was like slow motion. You ever have things in your mind that always stick with you? Even I was five years old. I mean, the woman could move. She was an athlete. And she came flying down, got the fire out. Saved me, saved a car. And what do we have here? We had me realizing, A, she has a heck of a nose for smelling fire. But her attention with good intention, saving me, led to connection because she connected me with the fear of God after that. And a connection to the fear of God and the connection to appropriate behavior as a human being in the community. You don't start fires under people's car. I mean, that was a good one. And to a purpose. And the purpose was, if you want to live another day, you don't start fires <laughs> under people's cars. Attention with godly or good intention led to connection to God, to community, and to a purpose. Now, this works for faith, too. So not too long ago, it was actually Monday this week, I am now starting to go through the Bible uh, and the, the Gospel of John. And so John chapter 1. John chapter 1 talks about primarily John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a relative, actually a cousin of Jesus, a second or so cousin, but his role had been given by God right from before his birth, had been given by God to be the long-promised prophet whose job would prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And what you discover with John the Baptist that his ministry is to preach, and he preaches a message of repentance. He was calling the people of Israel to say, give your hearts back to God. Repentance means to turn around, right, to, go f to change direction from, from your own way to follow God's way. And his message was, hey, get ready. God's Messiah is coming. Turn your hearts to God. Repent of your sins. Repent of your evil ways. Turn to God because you need to be ready. His man is coming. And part of that ministry involved that he would go down to the Jordan River and he would baptize people. And in that baptism, we had this symbolic, symbolic uh, picture of being washed. Your commitment would wash you free of the sins. Your old ways are no longer. You're going to choose to follow God. It was an act of, of, of seeking God's forgiveness, an act of commitment to, to stop the ways you were going and to learn to, to live for God. And, and I've always wondered, how come baptism was always included in John John's ministry. Why did he do that? Why don't you just preach the message and why did he do this baptism thing? And you come to find out there in chapter 1 that John identifies the reason why he does his baptisms is because God said to him, the one you baptize, when you baptize the Messiah, you will recognize because it will be like no other baptism you've ever done because what you will witness, you will witness the Holy Spirit coming upon him. 
And of course, we know the stories that the, John baptizes Jesus, there's a voice, and there's what the Bible says, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. Many times for movie's sake, we, they'll make it look actually like this white dove that'll come down and land on him. That's not what he's saying. He says the Spirit comes down like a dove, which means that we, we've got some kind of floaty, hovering indication that the Holy Spirit has come upon Jesus, indicating that he, John, here's your guy. This is the Lamb of God that's going to save the world. This is the guy whom you have been preparing the people of Israel for. He is the one. And so what we have there is that Jesus is baptized not for repentance. Why did he have to be He didn't have to be baptized for repentance because he hadn't sinned. There was nothing to change in his life for that. No, his baptism was a baptism of what? Identification and commission. The Spirit of God came on him, and at that point, he then launched into his life purpose, his life mission to be the Messiah, to be the Christ, to be the one who would start the ministry of bringing his 12 around and, and start a ministry over three years that would end up in his death and his burial and his resurrection that then would create the church, and here we are, right? His baptism was a baptism of commissioning because of the presence of the Spirit. Now, what Jesus did was the first of what we would follow behind. Those of us who would follow Jesus in committing our life to him by faith and are baptized, our baptism wouldn't be primarily a baptism of repentance, although that's involved. It would be a baptism of being commissioned by the Spirit to a new life. Baptism for the Christian is a new birth. A new birth to a new life. And because we're newborn babies out of the waters of baptism, commissioned and given the Spirit of God with us, our baptism now means that we're born. It's not an end, but it is a beginning. A beginning to what? A new life in growing up to being a fully committed Jesus follower. Are you with me on this? In other words, we've got to change the way we think about our commitment. When we make a commitment to Christ, it's not an and then we get our golden ticket. You got your golden ticket. Put your golden ticket in your pocket and do what you want to do because when Jesus comes back, pull your golden ticket and say, I'm in heaven. No, it's, it's, a, it's a birth. And as a birth, it implies then that you're a baby that requires growth and development. And as a baby that requires growth and development, we now get into this conversation of the purpose of the church and the purpose of you growing up into what God has intended for you as his new child. And the way that works is guess how? You remember? Yeah, I'm sure you know, right? Attention with godly intention that leads to connection to God, to community, and to a purpose. Attention. Someone is looking at you giving you their attention, the God himself, his spirit, but the community of faith, the one that has led you to Christ, the, your spiritual parent, if we'd like, is giving their attention with godly intention. There's a purpose behind that, why they do that, and that purpose leads you to connect with God, to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship as to learning how to love others, and to grow into the purpose that God has given you. Now, exciting to see that we see this played out, this formula played out in, in the New Testament, in the Bible, in the teachings of the Bible. Give your attention. I said we're going to be looking at Hebrews early on. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Let me just tell you a little bit about what Hebrews is all about. Hebrews is a letter that was written for the intention of encouraging a group of veteran Christians not to abandon their faith. 
That's the long story short. These Christians were of Jewish origin, so they were Jews before they became Christians. So they went to synagogue as children. They grew up believing the Old Testament. They were waiting for the Messiah. These folks had heard the message of Jesus, had believed, and had given their life to Jesus, and had lived filled with the Spirit, living the life that, that God had called them to, to live. They had lived as Christians for, for some time, but now their life had changed because it became illegal to be a Jesus follower. They were beginning to face pressure from government authorities because of their faith in Christ, and they were now saying, mm, I don't know if this is worth it. And in somehow they were receiving these, these messages, this false doctrine that was telling them, listen, it's all under the same franchise Judaism is the same God as Jesus. It's okay. Here's, here's an option. Go back to Judaism. You'll avoid the pressure because Judaism is a legal religion under the Roman law. You will avoid the persecution. You will avoid the pain. You will avoid the challenges if you go back to Judaism. And that's actually okay because, you know what? They're cousins. It's all right. It's as adequate as your Christian faith to get you to God in the same way. And, and Hebrews is writing basically say, no way. No way. It's Jesus or nobody. It's Jesus or nobody. God is done with making his kingdom about a nationality. It's now about faith and about faith in who? Jesus alone. He is far superior than anything that's offered out through Judaism. You cannot abandon your faith because if you abandon Jesus, you abandon everything. And while there's a lot of theological conversation and a lot of argument about making the point that Jesus is the only way, the bottom line, the emotional basis for Hebrews is, is one of encouragement. It's don't give up. Don't walk away. I know your life is tough. I know following Jesus is hard. I know that it's maybe disappointing and you're dealing with wounds and, and struggles and, and all of a sudden to follow Jesus means now that your bank account has been taken out and you have no employment and you might face beatings and humiliation. You may even be, be, be killed. But listen, listen, stay faithful because there's no other way to be right with God. And the emotional appeal of Hebrews is, is basically to say, stay the course. Understand that if you want to be free of that temptation, then you must develop and grow up in your faith. Intention. Attention with godly intention will lead to connection with God and with others and with a purpose that will help you stay the course. So give your attention to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Check it out. Here it is. He says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So sin's deceitfulness, the hardening, is the thing we want to avoid. How do we avoid that? Well, we avoid that, we play this backwards, is by making a commitment every day, as long as it's called now, as long as we're in the present every day, to do what? Encourage one another. Who's he talking to? He's talking to church. He's talking to Jesus followers. Jesus followers probably on different places along the, the faith growth continuum, but nonetheless, all Jesus followers. Folks like you and me, I'm assuming that you're here at church because you have some faith. 
And I don't know if your faith is, is deep and mature. I don't know if it's new and fresh. I don't know if you're still seeking, but there's something in you there that, that's pulling you to, to be here and to ask questions about living by, by faith in Jesus, that you believe the Bible, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and that yet somehow you're still working that out. Bottom line is, is that this is addressed to you if you're here and a part of the church and he's saying to you, hey, if you want to stay free from going to a place where you will turn away from your faith, you have to make this commitment as long as you live in the present to do what? Encourage one another daily. Now, what does encourage mean? Well, encourage simply means to call out, to call out, to come along someone and say, hey, okay, you can do this. Let me do what I can. Let me, let me give you what I have, call out to you to help you take the next step in your faith journey. My son tells me, both my sons actually, when they play ball, they don't want to hear me give an instruction. I don't know why. I'm not the best coach in their life. But anyway, they want me to encourage them. So no more commentary on whatever. Uh, I just got to say, go, bacon. <laughs> you can do it, bakey boy. So that's what I do. What am I doing? They're asking me for encouragement. They want their hearts encouraged. They don't want... So that's encouragement. He says, while it's still today, you who are part of the church family are called to this mission. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter whether you feel inadequate or biblically illiterate, you have a responsibility to do what? To call out to someone within that faith community, someone who is in your jurisdiction of influence, someone whom you're connected to. You have a responsibility, as long as it's today, to call out to them to do what? To call out to them to remain faithful, to call out to them to, to, to encourage them, to give them courage in their heart when they are discouraged to walk in the way that God has called them to walk. See, to give attention with godly intention that connects them to God, to others, and to a purpose. Do it daily. I love this concept of God assignments. Here's a problem with preacher types. We tend to think that every God assignment is our assignment. So every tear shed is our tear to, to comfort in the church and every problem that we, that's there is ours to, to bring about a solution. And, and you know, it's, it's not, it's, that's not what God, how God works. God has given us the body, and every one of us have a responsibility to others to fulfill the scripture. You have a purpose, and that purpose is to give you attention to those that God places in your sphere of influence, your spouse, your children, your friends, your small group, person sitting next to you, to give them your attention with a godly intention to connect them with God, to connect them with the community of faith because we're not called to be alone, and to connect them with a purpose. Now let's get on to another passage of Scripture. It gets a little more into this. Chapter 10, Hebrews. Follow along with me. This is what he says. Verse 23, he says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So here's the, here's the foundational, motivational piece that he's saying regarding Hebrews. The point of Hebrews is to say, hold on unswervingly. Don't veer, don't let go, don't, don't stay on target, stay on target. You know, the Star Wars thing. Stay on target on Christ to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And here it is, here it is. 
Circle this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know preachers of the past love to hold on to that, to kind of guilt people for not coming to church and say, hey, don't give up meeting together. Uh, you know, you've got to make it to church, attend church. attend." And I'm not saying that church attendance isn't important, being here, being present in what's going on in the community of faith, but I think sometimes we lose focus as the point of why we gather. The point why we gather is not to, to fill seats and to sit in there and to be here, to be counted. No, the point of gathering the church is the one before that, Consider ways that you may spur one another to love and goodness. In other words, when you gather, gather with the intention, here we go, to give your attention, to connect others to God, to church, or to the community, and to a purpose. You don't simply come to attend church. No, we need you, he says. We need to understand that it's important that when we gather as a church, we gather so that we can be the church. You don't come to the church. You come to be the church when you gather together. And you gather together with an intention to stir stuff up. People like to, you know, stir stuff up. You know, there are stirs and then there are stirs, right? There are people that get you stirred up and you want to punch them. Because they're just troublemakers. And they stir up bad stuff. But then there are others. You know, people that, are people that can stir you up to good stuff. We call them those people, inspirational, motivational, encouraging people. And he says, when you get together to church, get together with the intention to stir stuff up in others. The intention to stimulate, to provoke, to get things moving. What towards? Towards good, with good intention. In other words, think, he says, consider how you may spur one another on. Consider implies that you are thinking about it, you're praying about it, you are taking responsibility for it. You're saying, I'm not going to church so that I hope they sing the songs and they, we have our favorite singer singing or the favorite song songed or, or, or hopefully the AC's working or Didi's on par and he's telling some good jokes as opposed to some bad dad jokes or whatever. No, I'm thinking about I'm going to church and I'm going to church for a reason and that reason is that I have something to give. It may be my smile. It may be my greeting. It may be my warm words of encouragement. It may be my prayer. It may be just affirmation my faith in the demonstration to my children of what it means to be a Jesus follower. But I'm considering a way in which I can give myself, do my part to spur, to stir up the motivation in someone who is connected to me towards what? Love and good deeds. See, you're here for a reason. And if you were born into this new life, you were not born so that you can sit back and chill and wait until the day of reckoning and you can pull out your golden ticket and say, I'm in. No, you were born into a family and in that family, you have a family responsibility to fulfill your role in the family business. What is the family business of God? The family of business of God is to make disciples, Jesus followers. And therefore, that means you 
Regardless of your inadequacies, regardless of I can't, I won't, I have, you are called to do your part in the family business. And your part in the family business is to make sure you, and I know you love me saying this, to do your contribution, to pay attention with godly intention to bring about connection to those whom you're connected with, connect them to God, connect them to a community so they can learn to do their part and to connect them to the purpose that God has for their life. See, that's why we worship together. That's why we encourage people to share the same space and life together. That's why we do small group together. That's why we develop friendships with each other. That's why we do coffee. We don't do coffee because we want you to wake. Well, it is, but we don't do just coffee. We do coffee because it fosters what? Relationship. Relationship is the place where this happens. See, our growth in Christ is not a me thing. It is a we thing, right? We are recipients of grace in order to become grace givers. Here it is. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I, I, just, I had this verse brought to my attention the other day, and I just, I've just been gravitating to this a lot. But the, check this, what he says. Peter says, his divine power, in other words, what God has provided, divine, God-ordained power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What has God given us? Hello? You awake? Everything what we need for what? Godly life. We have everything we need today. Now, many of us will read this, and what we do is we do what, what we always do is we make it singular in our thinking. We think, oh, that's awesome. God has given me everything I need. That means within me, I have all the resources available, and we think, well, the Holy Spirit's in me. That's cool. I'd like to challenge that thinking just a bit here and recognize that this phrase is addressed to the church, and your spiritual growth is not a me thing. It's a we thing. And I want you to think about this phrase, I think, as it was intended. He's writing to the church, and he's saying, God has given us everything we need for a godly life by his divine power. We. In other words, we have everything available amongst us when we are a we environment required to provide us the necessary things we need for a godly, a God-honoring, a God-fulfilling life. The resources are not in me. The resources are found in we. And in order to achieve that, in order to access that, we have to be we-orientated. We have to recognize that we have to do our part, paying attention with godly intention to connect one another to God, to community of faith, and to a God-given purpose. So how does that work? Well, first of all, you need to prayerfully consider who's God given you to give your attention to? Who's God given you to give your attention to? Do you know who that is? 
part of giving attention is paying attention? Who's God given you to give your attention to? Your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Those are obvious candidates. Small group members, your friends, people in your neighborhood, people in your sphere of influence, people that you can say, you know, it doesn't take me much to reach out and touch them. That's who you need to give your attention to. And as you give them an attention, now you say, okay, now I have to consider ways I can spur them on to love me. What's my intention? How do I connect them to God? My intention is. What does that mean? Well, first I would say, pray for them. Pray for them. Take it up a notch. Pray with them. Pray with them. Spouses, husbands, wives, I can't tell you how many Husbands and wives come into my office, they have marriage problems, and the first thing I ask them is, do you guys pray together? And then we have the proverbial crickets, right? Well, that's a good start. If you pray with each other, not five hours a day, but five minutes, you two are connecting to each other as you connect to God. It's a powerful, powerful thing for a marriage. Pray with them. Share with them the things that you're learning about God. Take opportunities to get your nose out of the small screen, the big screen, or whatever screen you're in, and pay attention to them and talk to them about life and living. Recognize that there are opportunities to share life. It doesn't mean that every conversation has to be about Jesus and about God. No. If you're following God, then you can have fun together, you can socialize together, but there's opportunities in that ebb and flow to share about what God's doing in your life. Don't hold back on that. How are you connecting them with community? Are you inviting people into your life? Are you inviting people into your home? Are you inviting folks to your small group? Are you inviting people to this relational environment of, of church? I've talked about this over and over and again. Openness begets openness. If you're open to God and you start becoming open to people, it will beget openness to others. Too many of us are closed by our own prejudice and fear. Too many of us are closed about our own assumptions. Oh, they, you know, that person looks like this or that person speaks like that, that person... Openness begets openness. Openness to God. How are you open? How are you connecting people to a relational environment? And how are you connecting the purpose? Do you speak blessing into people's lives? Do you look to catch people doing things that honor God and say, I think you should follow that. I think with God and my help, you can do that. Again, it's, moms need encouragement being Moms. Dads need encouraging being dads. Kids need to be encouraged to be godly kids and not set fires under cars. <laughs> Connect people to their godly purpose. Here's my thing on, on, on that. Spiritual gifts is a conversation that we can get into another day, but here's my summary on that. Spiritual gifts, that are those things that originate from the Spirit given to us to fulfill the work of the Spirit, are given to us How? They're not given to us as if, you know, we take a psychological survey and say, oh, that's what's in you. No. They're given to us when we are obedient to the calling. And they're a gift because they're not originated in us, right? That's why we call them a gift. 
It's not something you're naturally good at. You may have a natural passion towards it, but to naturally be good at something is not necessarily a gift in the spiritual gift sense. And so if we are interested in fulfilling our God-given purpose, we need to encourage others to take those faith risks of fulfilling calling. That's saying yes to opportunities to serve. That's saying yes to things that, ooh, I don't know if I can do that. Go on a mission trip to Houston? Hey, I think you need to. And God will provide, because guess what? He's provided us everything we need to pursue a godly life, right? I'm so thankful that Jack and Peggy Pennington, two missionaries from Largo, Florida, who had given their life to serve God, came to Rhodesia, Africa at the time, then became Zimbabwe. I'm so grateful that they gave their attention to my mom with godly intention, connecting her with God and with a community of faith and a purpose. They gave her their attention with godly intention and introduced her to Jesus Christ, a lonely woman on her own seeking answers in life, a single mom that we would say, huh, scandalous. She got a child from it, deserves what she gets, particularly if you looked at that child, that way he behaves. Anyway, um, <laughs> but no, they gave their attention with godly intention and they connected it with God. She became a Jesus follower. She gave her life to Christ. They connected to a community of faith in the church where she learned to grow up. And guess who else was in that community of faith? This little short English guy called Jim Bacon, whom she went to church, looked at him, and said to her friend, I'm going to marry that man. And that's how my mom is, right? When she says she's going to do something, watch out. She married him, and the result was is that the boy who didn't have a father had a father. The boy who was the product of a quote-unquote mistake was able to receive a name and a heritage. Community of faith and a purpose. Her faith in Jesus then became the focusing point on how she approached my sister and I, teaching us now, giving us her attention to model what it means to be a Jesus follower and bringing us to a place where both of us gave our life to Jesus and followed in the same pattern her attention with godly intention led to our connection with God, with a community of faith and a purpose. See how it works? And the exciting thing is that story is not a story that's unique. That story is the story that how the church is all about. You are here for a reason. Give your attention with godly intention, connecting those whom you are looking at, those whom you are encouraging, connecting them to God, connecting them to a community of faith, connecting them to their God-given purpose. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.